Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. We're back for the new season which has already started but we've been fairly busy I think it's fair to say over the last couple of weeks and so we're about to hit you with a number of podcasts over the next couple of weeks. We're starting today with our, I guess you could say, preview or the start of the season look at the French and Danish leagues. And uh, with that, we've got two very special guests. First, we're going to speak to Kevin Domas about the French league and also reflecting on France's gold medal, double gold medal at the Olympics. And then Alex speaks to Rasmus Boysen later about the Danish league. i uh, got a lot coming up, uh, which I'll tell you a little bit about at the end of the podcast. But first, enjoy our chats with Kevin and Rasmus. Hello, Kevin Demar. On to speak to us about French league. But before we go into we the go. club side of things, we have to ask you, Kevin, how is the feeling after a double gold medal for France in the Olympics? Uh, it's amazing. It's something that you guys would probably never experience. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> and that, was, that was amazing. That was, that was crazy. That was uh, kind of an unexpected as well, because I didn't see it coming. But yeah, it was really, really great. And uh, I think everybody's still, you know, quite on the high after that. Yeah, definitely unexpected um, in, in the classic French way of, oh, this team is definitely really good, but can they bring it together? Do, like, what, what made it happen for them in the Olympics? Uh, Let's go with either side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean you know, uh, everybody was uh, expecting Denmark to, to, to get the gold medal uh, for the men's. And... Uh, you know, the stars aligned, I think. Uh, everybody did put on a, a great performance and great performances, uh, you know, throughout the two weeks. And, uh, and that was, yeah, I said it unexpected because nobody quite knew where France were at the time, you know. You were, you had questions about how Karabatic, Nikola Karabatic was going to, to be uh, physically after his injury. And, uh, and, you know, the Olympics are something quite different uh compared to, to world championship and european championships and um and yeah that's completely different a lot of these guys had experience but you know could they live up to the hype uh that was a big question but they put it up pretty pretty good and the women you know they played the finals and it uh in 2016 and the loss against russia back then was a great motivation for them and you know they they wanted their revenge and they did get it in the final amazingly well if you look back to when we spoke at the beginning of this year like at the beginning of the world championship and there was like despair in your voice as we spoke about the french men's team and not like seeing any light at the end of this tunnel of selfishness and lack of leadership uh, at all levels and and now we're here we are and in just the case i guess space of i guess eight months yeah, and uh, 
And I, th- I think Yom Jill didn't invent anything. You know, he didn't reinvent the wheel. He just basically took the same players that were playing at the uh, the World Championship in January. And, uh, you know, he trusted himself and he trusted these guys. And even though the outside world, uh, a.k.a. me and my uh, colleagues, were quite sceptical about what he was doing because, you know, some of his choices were quite questionable. Uh, I think he, he, st- he stuck to his guns and the players followed him and he gave... Uh, all the players a role and everybody stuck to it and uh, that's what made the difference I think because you know even the players that played five minutes or ten minutes a game uh, were both really happy uh, to do it and also they understood that uh, that was their role and that you know, that was for the best of the team uh, at the end of the day. And Vance and Gerard finally put in a, a performance. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the best two weeks of his life, uh, handball-wise, I think. <laughs> I'm so glad because, you know, we've had our ups and downs when it comes to talking about Vance and Gerard in the podcast and different, like, at one time, all of three of us have been, like, staunchly defending him while the others have been saying he's shite. And now, look at him. And it's it's really he's such a nice guy as well, and so I'm really delighted for him that he has been able to do this for the French team at you know like a final weekend. He, he shot a lot of mouths. I mean, he made everybody shut up for two weeks, and uh, I was the first one about uh, you know being skeptical about what he could deliver with the national team, and I just have to praise his performances. I mean, it was it was amazing, and he saved he saved our asses a couple of times. Is there a bit more of a buzz now on the back of these two gold medals going into the new season uh, in France? Or do you notice maybe, for example, an uptake on hand news on the amount of attention you're getting or anything like that? Uh, I'll be honest. I I went to the press conference that was launching the Women League, uh, I think it was last Wednesday, and there was nobody. I mean, that was disappointingly empty. And, uh, you know, there is this press conference launching the men uh, season tomorrow and I've seen the list and it's just the same old five guys. You know, it's just disappointing how the Federation and the league don't manage to to make the best out of it. I mean, there is such a there was such a buzz during the Olympics about handball and about all the, the indoor sports because basketball got uh, two medals as well and volleyball got the, the title. Um and there is such a, an absence of enthusiasm and such an absence of uh, momentum uh, for handball that is quite actually worrying. And maybe we'll talk about it later, and I hope we will. But uh, I think that the French League is going to be weaker in the forthcoming years uh, than it was like in the past three seasons. So that's kind of not a good sign. Well, should we start there? <laughs> Why <laughs> wait for the it? Same thing. <laughs> yeah, let's not wait. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's go into it. And that's a, it's an interesting um, take on it. And I wonder, though. I mean, wonder if there's still time to maybe revitalize people and get people engaged again. Because I don't know about you guys, but after the Olympics, I mean, I'm ex- I was exhausted by all sport and just needed a little bit of a break. And maybe the public, maybe the the journalists as well could be feeling the same but once the games start to roll around that uh it'll change a little bit but tell us first of all instead of waiting uh for later to talk about it why do you feel that the french leagues will be weaker uh than it has been in the the previous few years 
Well, I, I think if you look at the, uh, at the transfer, uh, you know, the, the balance uh, this summer, uh, Paris lost uh, probably their best player last season and they're not replacing him. Uh, I mean, Dylan Nahi and uh, Montpellier have been losing one of their best upcoming uh, national talent in Melvin Richardson. Uh, he signed to, to Barca. And, you know, the... It's been quite of a of a, of a trend uh, in the last uh, couple of years. You know, everybody, uh, all the major uh, French players. You know, not the old ones, but the ones that are quite you know that are aged between twenty four and twenty seven. Uh, Nicolas Tourna signed to uh, to to Kielce and a lot of them went to Barca. And uh, all the national players are basically moving away from uh, from France. And I don't know if if I don't know. Um, I don't know if you know level-wise there would be an impact on the the French league, but definitely on speaking of interest uh, of the public and the media, it's quite hard to get the people interested in in, um, in a league where the the national team players are not playing, and you know it's I mean the the the, the public and the f- fans, but most of all uh, the the you know. The fans that are quite casual, you know, they watch like three handball games in a in a season. Uh, they need they need faces that they know, and you know they need to go to the arena and see Nedim Remini and see uh, Ludovic Fabregas and see uh, Dilanay and all these guys. And all these guys are signing to foreign clubs. And I think that in terms of interest, uh, it, it's not a good sign that all these French players are signing away. And uh, and I, I think Paris are not going to be the leader that they were like three or four years ago when they signed Vogel Simon and Sander Sagerson. Uh All the big stars are not signing in Paris anymore. And I think that, you know, in three, four years, that will mean that Paris are an, not as good team as they are right now. And that could lead to uh, the level of the championship being a bit weaker, I think. I think it's good to start with with Paris uh, as they've been the all-conquering team for for a long while now. And as you said, yeah, they they do seem to be starting to lose a few of their stars, but you know, still looking at the squad this year, you know, we're not talking about next year when they lose Remy Lee and uh Hansen, but this year they they still have the the main core. And I think a lot of what we talked about with Paris was that you know they had too many stars that they you know and now it seems to you know we have this Luke Stein's led team and everything um so do do you still see them being the top team this year i don't see them uh, as the top team i think they'll be with not competing for the title um but i i do think that not have got a really good opportunity to taking uh, to take the title this season uh, for two reasons uh, because Paris haven't got any new blood this this summer. I mean they, they haven't signed any new players, and that's they are actually the one of the they are the only top team in Europe not to have signed any new players. And I think that every year you need to you know to to get a fresh uh, fresh blood and get new faces. And uh, uh, I, I, I really think that it's going to be hard for them this season, because especially since they lost Dylan Nae, who was their best player last season, you know, it's just, I mean, Nae got 
got them, you know, out of the water so many times last season that it's hard, you know. And uh, you, you talked about Mikel Hansen, and Mikel Hansen has got a lot of impact when he plays with the Danish national team. He has, you know, way less impact when he plays with Paris. I mean, you all watched the Champions League games last season, and sometimes he was terrible. I mean, I, I really adore him as a player, but I mean, he was terrible. And uh, I, th I think the the, the best. The best sign for Paris is that Nikola Kabatic is back and is fit. You know, he's 100%. He's still as motivated as he ever was. And, uh, and yeah, that's a good thing for him because, you know, he's got this leadership and he's got this ability to drag everybody uh, in the right direction. But uh, for Paris, I mean, it's, it's going to be a weird year. You know, it's going to be a weird season because a lot of these guys know that they're going away at the end of, uh, the, end of the season. You know, Gerard is leaving, Remini is leaving, Kunku is leaving, uh, Onsen is, is leaving as well. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to handle that. You know, it's hard to, uh, I don't know, I mean, the motivation would be here, but at the end of the day, it's just, they're not, maybe, uh, um, you know, I'm waiting for to see if they're as hungry as they, as they were in the past. I think when we spoke last year about PSG and the, the big issue was the playmaker uh, position uh, and a, a kind of a lack of it. Now they've got almost the full backcourt of playmakers in one way or another. Uh, hilariously, because Luke Steins is now a permanent signing. Karabadic is there. Uh, Nadim Remili seems to be a better playmaker than a right back at the moment. And uh, Sadu Intanzi has rejoined from his loan spell at Toulouse. Uh, and I want to ask you about Intanzi in particular. How how do you feel his season at Toulouse was and uh, does that put him in a position to be a, a proper impact for this PSG team? I think his season with Toulouse was quite of underwhelming. Uh, he didn't play much. I mean, he, he had some good moments, especially in the French League, but uh, you know, that was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes a game and not, not much more. Uh, the thing is, he will come back and he will be uh, playmaker number three behind uh, behind Luke Steins and behind Nikola Karabatic or Nadim Rarely. I don't know uh, which choices Howell will make. Uh, so I, I, I think Sadu is a player for the for the future. You know, I don't think he will get much opportunities this season. You know, apart if uh, somebody uh, is injured, but otherwise, I think he will be, you know, still the number three and be used mainly on the on the small league games uh but you're right in the, in the, in underlining that the fact that this time they've got a proper backcourt i remember we had this chat uh, last season and we were like you know they've got two left backs two center backs and that's really you know that's not a lot when it comes to playing all these competitions and yes i mean they've got this full backcourt and uh but you know i mean there are so many players that didn't play at their level last season. That I'm waiting to see if they are actually playing at their real level um, this uh, this season. And you said so that Nantes are going to be the the competitors. And is that primarily because PSG are going to be worse, or do you feel like Nantes have improved the season because they they've made some nice signings? Ruben Marchand's come in, Pedro Partella, and Linus Persson right back, and Skarinski at left back. So they've kind of beefed up their squad a little bit. So do you feel that they will be a level up this season? There are many reasons uh, for me to believe that they will be uh, better than they were last season. Uh, first of all, uh, as you said, they signed some really good players. 
uh, Rupert Marshall uh, on the line player position is incredible. I mean, you probably seen him uh, at the World Championship with Spain. It was, you know, amazing. And uh, I saw not yesterday play against uh, against Montpellier, and they and they were excellent. And you, all these guys, apart from Skorinski, who is still injured at the moment, uh, they they already you know they already fit in the project. You know, uh, they are all talented players, all national team players have got all got experience. Some of them have played the, the championship before. So I guess uh I guess they have made the signings that they needed. Second thing is, and they are not playing the Champions League this season. And that would be a huge advantage because they will play one game a week until the end of October, which means that they will have time to train, they will have time to you know, focus on themselves and not get too exhausted and to find their routine and to find, to adapt uh, to each other for this month and a half, whereas Montpellier and Paris will play every three days. And uh, that will make a difference. And if you speak with Alberto Antreos, he told you, well, he's not happy about not playing the Champions League, but he knows that in the end, that will be a good thing for him this season because they will have time to, to train. And... I think that Paris, with the loss of Nay, are basically on a par with not on a par. You know, it's just if not managed to to win all the games that they're meant to win, you know, against lesser team and not waste away points like they did last season, and that the title is decided on the games against Montpellier and Paris. They definitely have a chance, you know, over the course of one game. Last season or two seasons ago, Paris were my favorites. Whereas now I'm just like, you know, it's just 60 minutes and they have the, the Northern Montpellier have that chance against them. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that tournament you saw in Limoges, which not won? I think it was not Limoges, Bompelier, and Nîmes. Uh, what did you see there? Because you seemed quite excited. I think you were tweeting for hand news. What did you see that really got you kind of got the juices flowing? I, I saw a really exciting note uh, team. I saw. Uh, quite disappointing Montpellier team. They were missing Valentin Porte, who is still injured uh, since the, the the Olympics final. Um, uh, they were missing Diego Simone as well, but it seems like their recruits are all very young, all very talented, but they're not, you know, ready to be 100% at the moment. You know, so it will take time for them to gel together. It will take time, you know, and uh, time is not something that you have in, uh, in handball. And uh, I saw uh, a Neem team that is basically more or less the same than it was yesterday. Uh, I guess you all watched the European League games and just playing very fast, very physical. And uh, I guess they will be able to, you know, to take points from uh, from favorites some from time to time. But I don't expect them to be higher than the fourth place. And Limoges signed Jure Dolinets. I mean, everybody's entitled to his own opinion, but. Uh, he was quite uh, disappointing in his last seasons in Barcelona. I mean, I think he never truly recovered from his injury that he got uh, in his first season in Barcelona. So whether or not that's a good idea to sign him now, especially for three seasons, that remains to be seen. And he played really, really good against Montpellier on Friday. And he was uh, really not good to say the least, in on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they've got all this Slovenian connection, uh, Limoges, that uh, that could 
get them a European spot at the end of the season if they're quite lucky. I want to ask you about Limoges, but first, my most important question from that weekend and for Nantes is did Theo Monar and Lucas de la Pratesh have their names on their jerseys at last? Are they professionals? Uh, Theo Monar is, but de la Bretèche isn't. I'm sorry oh. for you. We'll take Theo Manar. I'm happy for Theo Manar. I think I think he was the one who got the most attention for not having his name on the jersey. Were you impressed by him last season? He was amazing. Uh, by, uh, yeah, by Monar. Yeah. He's even uh, better than he was last season. You know, I, I, I was thinking to myself that they've got a line, not have got a line player position with Trangam Peshmalbek, with Theo Manar and with Ruben Marsen. And I, and I was thinking, you know, I drove home like four hours after the games yesterday and I was thinking to myself while I was driving, and I couldn't find any club or any team in Europe this season with such an impressive line player position. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I mean, I was thinking of Benfica with uh, Moraes and, uh, and, and Alexis Borges, but I was like, that amazingly impressive. Kelsa maybe will have a, but not not three, but two, two really. But I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, Marshan, we'll see what he's like when it comes to international club handball in, in the European League but uh, Monar I guess will only get better and as you said look looked like that as he um as he grows up uh, it doesn't need to grow any larger I think <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> uh, maybe slimmer and more 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 solid but um Petschmalbeck, I mean he, he just grabs everything that goes his way and maybe a tiny bit off topic there but he's he's um he's decided to represent Serbia instead of France right which is a bit of a blow for France. That's a big loss for France because Dragan is really someone that uh, could be helpful uh, both defensive, defensively and offensively. Is already a young player. And uh, I think it's a shame that Guillaume Gilles didn't, didn't try him, at least. You know, uh, he could have given him a chance, especially on these EHF Euro qualifiers against, uh, you know, they, Greece against Serbia. Against Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, but I mean, yeah, I mean that's it's a shame. I mean, it's a big loss for France. But uh, Guillaume Gilles decided not to repeat uh, the same mistake by uh, giving uh, Tilmona his first national team uh, game um, last season when he was not even a professional player. About Limoges, then um, they were kind of the outstanding team early doors last season. They caught a lot of people's eyes with um, some great performances. Then it dropped off a little bit, finishing in ninth in the end. What do you expect from them now? It's actually only their second season in the top flight. It's actually a big uh, big turmoil in Limoges at the moment because they're going to be changing coach at the end of the season. Well, it's not official yet, but everyone know, everybody knows it. Uh, so there is this, they've got like eight players that are running out of contract next June. So it's just... You know, I was I, w- I was there this weekend, and it was a bit strange because they've got the potential to, but there's a, a weird feel to this weird feeling to the weird vibe to this to this team. You know, uh, they, they, I'll give you just one example. They drafted Yuri Dolinets to play centre back, okay? So I think that he has done in the past when he was playing in Barca and even mm-hmm. more in Montpellier. And basically, the guy arrives and first training said, oh, "I don't want to play centre back anymore." So, so they, they end up with three right backs, two that they signed this summer, and they've only got one centre back, and nobody's nobody's saying anything, you know? It's just like 
everybody's focusing on Dolinesh because he's like the big signing from Barca. And he's got mm. every right. And he's got every right at the moment. And that's something that's going to be... They're going to need to fix that. You know, they're going to give the players a role and they're going to need for the club to be player bigger than the players. I think they surprised everybody last season in the first part. Uh, nobody expected them to be that good. Nobody expected Dragon Gaic to score 200 goals this season, even though he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong. But uh, the, the surprise factor is not going to be there anymore. They're going to have to reinvent themselves. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to. You know, that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of talent. And maybe they're a bit lacking uh, talent to, to really reinvent themselves and try and, you know, and keep surprising their opponents. So any, any other teams um, that you see that might be kind of the surprise team this year? Actually, in both ways. So one team that will exceed expectation and there's usually one kind of top team that fails in France every year. Uh, so, so can you give me those? <laughs> uh, I, I see two teams that could surprise everyone. Uh, the first team is Dunkirk. Dunkirk were uh, the last uh, non-PSG champions back in 2015, if I remember right. Uh, they, they've got an all-French roster this season. They've only got like two non-French players. All of them are really young. Uh, two of our three summer signings, uh, no, three of our four summer signings were playing in the French second league this season. And they've got an amazingly talented roster, really young, but I mean, a, a team that really gelled together, that they're really happy to be playing together and they could well be a, a good surprise. And the second surprise might be Créteil. They, they promoted to the first league uh, three years ago, and they've changed coach now. Uh, their new coach is Fernando Barbeto, who was like uh, Xavi Pasquale's uh, assistant in Barca last season. And he, he he changed everything. You know, he changed everything. These players are not really talented, but he really seems to uh, to have changed something. He brought his winning mentality from Barca uh, to this small club. And uh, they could really, I think, they could end up in the first, you know, in the top part of the of the of the league. After I think they finished eleventh uh, last season, but they will surprise some teams um, this season. And speaking of disappointments, I don't see Toulouse uh, doing as great as they did in the last couple of uh, of seasons. You know, they are one of the smallest budgets in the league, and they managed to qualify for the European League uh, two seasons in a row. And their aim is to do the same thing this time again. But uh, they've got a new coach. They lost a couple of important players. And that's going to be tough. You know, that's going to be hard for them because the competition is always getting, getting stronger and stronger. And uh, um, and yeah, if they play the European League, that's going to be a tough schedule, a tough schedule for them. That's nice to see you consider Dunkirk being back in the mix uh, because they're a nice team to watch back in their Champions League days. And there's always a good atmosphere in their arena. They've signed a podcaster as well in Joseph Puyol from Elvrum, who's one of the hosts of Avcast. Okay, yeah. I didn't do He's uh, one of the Swedish podcasts, so you'll have no excuses if you, uh, if you want to interview him. Give it a try. <laughs> I think we haven't really talked about Montpellier. And you saw them play last weekend and, and they finished third in that tournament in Limoges. Uh, I thought they actually were going to be one of your disappointment picks, but uh, tell us maybe where you put them in the, in the ranking at the end of the season. Uh, 
Uh, I think they, they, they lost, you know, uh, a couple of important players this season, especially Melvin Richardson. And they signed a lot of young, very young foreign players. And as you guys know, it takes time for this kind of profile to fit in. You know, they have to learn French. They have to learn, you know, uh, how to play in a new league, especially in the French league, which isn't, it's not really easy. And uh, and they will play the Champions League, so they will no, have no time to train and they will have no time to, you know, to adapt. And from what I've seen this weekend, Carl uh, uh, Valinius and uh, Nasimovic, like the guy who was playing in Serbia before, they're all really good players. But are they good enough right now to be competing with Northern Paris? That remains to be seen. Uh, you've got a, a, a line player position, which for me is one of the the weakest of the European top teams. I mean, they, they signed Lucas Moscariello, who's a good defender, but offensively, he, he lacks some efficiency uh, when, when it comes to shooting. And they've got this Arthur Lynn, who is really young, really good, but really going with that's a really young team, you know. And I saw them playing against Limoges, and they were like 11 11 at the 20th minutes. And they lost by 12 because everybody got, you know, everybody went the wrong way and they didn't have the, the mental strength to, to remain in the game. And that's that's something that they're going to have to try. And especially if they suffer some important players' injuries, uh, I, I fear it's going to be a long season for them. I'm uh, I'm going to ask for your predictions for the league in a moment. But first, I want to ask about the Women's League, which seems to be more open than ever this season what are your thoughts on Brest who have had a huge overhaul this summer and Mets and, and who do you see as the favourites I think it's going to be a real uh, uh, really close between Mets and Brest uh, Brest are probably the best uh, roster out of the two but they've got a new coach uh, Pablo Morel and they've got a lot of you know, of important players to replace because they lost Bella Gould and they lost Anna Gross. And, uh, and that's, you know, that, that, that would take some time. So as Mass didn't move as much, and they only signed three new players, uh, all of them national team players. And uh, they are more, much more stable uh, than Brest. So basically that would even out all the levels between the two of them. And uh, it's really hard to pick a favourite. and That's really hard to give a prediction where, uh, about the, the, the future champion. But... Besides these two teams, I think Paris and Nantes are going to be really close. Paris signed uh, a couple of really good players, like Nyosan uh, Nyombla, who was playing in Suffolk, and uh, Sashka, who was playing in Metz. And yesterday, they lasted until November, before all the important players uh, got injured. Whereas now they've got a bench, they've got substitutes, and they are this ability to actually cope with the injuries. And that would be really interesting because if Paris lasts the distance, they will not be that far from, um, from Brest and Metz. Uh, same can be said about Nantes. I mean, Nantes, you know, they got a huge boost with this European League uh, win last season. They signed the uh, the MVP of the Olympics, uh, well, my MVP, uh, Karin Stromberg, and I feel that would be a big addition. And uh, I think it would be really interesting, much closer than it was uh, the seasons before. So who's going to win the men's league this season? The first time in a while, it's going to be super close, hopefully. I'd say not, to be honest. I'd say not. I mean, I, I, what I saw this weekend was really impressive. And they were missing important players. 
So I go, I'm going to go for not. That'll be, that'll be a serious quote. To... <laughs> That's a good headline, eh? <laughs> yeah, it'll be a good headline after the season if it all works out. <laughs> be a nice sound bed. But, but it's nice to have uh, that kind of prediction um, since usually the, the question is, are PSG going to lose any games? And now, uh, now, now, now we got something to play for. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean it, you know. And I was, as I told you, I was thinking about that through the car back home yesterday, and I was like, they're really impressive. You know, I, I've, I've, I've been to a lot of tournament preseasons, uh, preseason tournaments in the past seasons, and I can't, I can't think of a time when I saw a team playing. I was like, they're really, really good already. They're playing Montpellier in the third, third round. And they're going to destroy them if they play like they did yesterday. There will be no, no game in this. Very impressive. And that makes a good awesome. headline as well. Yeah, it's exciting, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Gavin Damas, a pleasure as always. And we look forward to having you back on for the next France national team crisis. Thank you. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome, Rasmus Boysen for your annual um, episode of the Uninformed Humble Hour. Always great to get your insights on the Humble world. And while we usually talk about the the whole Humble world and everything that's going on, we will narrow a little bit today and focus on the Danish League. But before uh, we go into that, uh, I'll ask you a question that we also asked uh, Kevin Dama. Uh, on our French uh, league preview, and that is, what are your thoughts on the final of the Olympics? Thank you for having me, Alex. Uh, yeah, of course, it's it's always disappointing, uh, pointing as a Dane to to lose against France in in another final. <laughs> uh, of course, I, I think uh, Denmark played a, a very gr- a great uh, tournament, but and at the end, uh, I think that France they surprised a lot of guys and. They played great also, and they deserved the win. They uh, were great uh, tactically against Denmark uh, and outplayed us. So uh, I think a, a silver medal at, at a at an Olympic tournament is also great. Only the the second medal for Denmark uh, throughout the history in in the Olympics. But uh, yeah, always t- uh, tough to to lose a final. But I think it's uh, throughout the season, uh, throughout the the games, were, were great. A lot of great handball, and of course, uh, not that great without spectators. But nice that it uh, finally had that that they finally had, could uh, could play the games after all. Yeah, definitely. And the Olympics is always just a great spectacle. Um, it's a such a tough tournament, and really <laughs> tough to see a team like Denmark, who were, uh, in my opinion, clearly the best team throughout the tournament just leaves it on the final hurdle to France, who had an unbelievable tournament, but came out of nowhere. Um, it's really the luck of the draw in the Olympics. And can you pinpoint anything in, in that final, which really um, got France over over the final hurdle? In my opinion, they were the first team to find out how to uh, stress uh, Matthias Giesel, the Matthias Giesel, who played a an amazing uh, tournament once again, but in the final he had some problems and Nikola Karabacic uh, defensively played like uh, absolutely amazing and totally uh, took over against uh, Matthias Kiesel. So that was for me the the main reason why Denmark uh, didn't uh, succeed uh, succeeded to win. 
Yeah, a really, really incredible performance by Karabatic in that final, I think. And yeah, we kind of talked about what benefit does Karabatic bring to, to the French team, you know, like coming back from an injury, but he just has that winning mentality. And at the end of the day, he is an elite defender and probably the first player I've ever seen really shut down Matthias, Matthias Gitzel. So pretty, pretty, pretty impressive from France and uh, a little bit disappointed for Denmark. But moving on to uh, the Danish league. And I feel like this season, there's the most hype uh, around a Danish league. And last season, for example, we didn't do a preview, <laughs> a full dedicated preview of the Danish league. But uh, with Albor, of course, getting that final four place making some big signings and the league as a whole just looking very strong we thought we definitely have to dive in and maybe let's let's start with the big team and that is Albor who um, had such a big change but then they came out and lost their first game of the season of course Palmerson was the the big signing for Alborg. What have you seen so far? Um and I know they haven't uh, played too much but um how does how's Palmerson fitting into this team? They they have a very deep squad. They have a lot of great players. So of course they they need some more matches to to yeah, to to find themselves I think but and also they lost of course, they signed some great players, but we have to remember they also lost a very, very um, important player in uh, Mount Saustrup joining uh, uh, Magdeburg. Uh, so they also need to to find uh, their places defensively, where he had a great uh, role. Uh, Jesper Nielsen ha- has joined from Einika Leuven, and he has been uh, a little injured and a little sick, so he needs some more time. So, uh, But I think that uh, Palmerson, uh, he is the go-to guy. Uh, also, when the matches uh, is going to is going in the, the crunch time, uh, but of course he needs some more time to to get on his top level. We know he he he's a, an amazing player, but he needs some time, of course, also uh, adapting to a new league. And do you, do you see Albor making a splash again in the in the Champions League this year? Ooh, I think it's it's very difficult to say something about the Champions League, but because in my opinion there's like ten or eleven teams who who have uh, ambitions to to go to the final four. I think it's it's going to be more difficult for uh, Scandinavian teams be uh, this season because of the spectators. And when we go to the to the knockout rounds, it's more uh, difficult to to win in Porto or to win in Flensburg or to win in in the Balkans, <laughs> when you have like uh, uh, 5,000 spectators against you, that's uh, maybe not so good for Albor. Uh, of course, they have a great uh, uh, arena themselves, but it's something else to, to win in Germany or win in uh, Westbrem like they did last season when, when their spectators, uh, I think they, in my opinion, they're still uh, the, un- the underdogs. Uh, of course, they... They have a chance, uh, like ten or eleven other teams, to go to the final four. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think of course it it will be very difficult. Also, uh, when you see that uh, it's very difficult to win these matches in in the Danish league, uh, some of the other opponents in in the Champions League they have like uh, more more easy matches in in the domestic league. Uh, it's more difficult for Albor also to play in the Danish league. So. 
uh, I think it's, it will be very difficult. It's, it all, it's always, it's always difficult these uh, second seasons after a big splash, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot to live up to for Albor. And kind of, let's say looking broader uh, into the league and we saw some absolutely fantastic performances from the Danish teams in the, European League qualifying rounds, well, in the second leg of European League qualifying rounds. Um, so that, that was Geoge, Björnbos, Silkebor and, um, Holsebro. Um, so are those three the, the, the main challengers, let's say, for, for League Tell, or is there other teams kind of up there? Yeah, in Denmark we always talk about the top five teams. Uh, yeah, the the four teams you mentioned: Olbo, uh, Bjergbosilgebo, uh, Holstebro, and Gok, and then Skern. Skern, who had a, a disappointing uh, season last season, but have have made some some great uh, signings, in my opinion. So I see those uh, top five teams uh, pretty sure to go to the playoffs. Uh, in my opinion, there's the top two with Olbo and and Geoge, who. Who had also made some great signings for the upcoming season, um, and then uh, Bjangbo Silkeborg, who who has a new coach after seven years and uh, and have some new players lost. Uh, Sebastian Skube, who had a great and big role in in that team, so they uh, begin uh, on a new era, I would say. And and uh, and uh, Holstebro uh, have had a lot of injuries. Uh, Nikola Magnusson has has joined, and they also have had some problems in in the preseason. Uh, due to injuries, so uh, but I think they, when when all the players is uh, are fit, they will have a, a great team. Scan, like I mentioned, had a had a bad season last season, but on the paper they have a great team. And after these uh, five top uh, teams, I think there's a lot of team like from six to maybe twelve or thirteen who had <laughs> who have uh, uh, ambitions to go to the playoffs and. And all have great teams and can beat each other on the day. So that's very difficult to say. Uh, of course, my team for last year, we we also have the have the ambitions to go to the to the playoffs uh, for the first uh, time after the bankruptcy. Uh, so uh, I think it's it will be very very difficult because there's a lot of great teams. And I also think that that's one of the reasons why the Danish league is so. Uh, so exciting to to follow because there's a lot of great teams and we will get into you personally and and your season very interested to hear about that but i think before that i I do want to just ask you can matthias gissel just lead gay to to everything this season because he seems to be unstoppable (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it's difficult to say no at the moment, I think. <laughs> but uh, I see uh, Gilgi as much more than uh, Matthias Kiesel. I think they have a very, very, very good team. Uh, the best team they have had in, in several years. Uh, the signing of uh, Torbjörn Bergerud is, of course, uh, very, very exciting because now they have a very great uh, goalkeeping duo. Uh, and uh, yeah, Jerry Tolbring is also, of course, a, a very good player. So for me... Uh, is much more than Matthias Kiesel was, but of course, if if he can continue on this insane level, I see them as a very very big contender also for the both for the club and for the for the for the domestic league. I see them as a great team, and and we have to uh, to think about that they actually won the the regular season last season in front of Olbo, so and played uh, yeah. 
uh, some good matches also in the playoffs. So of course, uh, on the top level, they they have the the quality to to beat Olbo and beat everyone in the Danish league. Yeah, and it really seemed to be a, a, a huge battle between Olbor and Gogo last season. Um, you couldn't really tell who was better, and that says quite a lot about Gogo as a team because you know they're competing against the Champions League final four participant at, at a very high level. And can, I suppose, can you give a bit of insight for um, people who may, might not know about Gogo about just how? amazing this story of this club is in terms of it being quite a small uh, team in in Foon and a, a combination of a couple of villages but can you give a bit of insight of how handball is you know developed there yeah it's it's actually difficult to to tell but uh, yeah as you mentioned it's just a little village in in Denmark uh, but the fact is that they have this uh, boarding school I think you'll call it uh, with like a lot of uh, great talents uh, from all over Denmark who, who joined this school and and a lot of them uh, stay in in the club. Uh, they have a lot of traditions from yeah from uh, from last century and and then they had some problems uh, and went bankrupt and started all over and now they are on top again. Um, they have uh, developed uh, so much, uh, so many, so many great uh, Danish national team players like uh, Mikkel Hansen, like Landin, like Lasse Swan, uh, Thomas Monsen, and yeah, uh, the list go, goes on and on and on. Uh, yeah, and they have like a good system. They always pl- uh, play fast and. Uh, yeah, uh, good handball, I would say, uh, and they attract all the greatest uh, talents from from Denmark, and then they are very good at using the players on the first team, also in in a very uh, young age, like Mikkel Hansen and now Gisel and and so on. So, uh, yeah, the it's probably it is the greatest uh, talent school I think in in Scandinavia uh, at the moment and also uh, historically. So. It's a very, very uh, exciting uh, club, I would say. It just seems to be brimming with talent. And is there any other, uh, let's say, talented young guns that are going to break out this season for for that team? And by the end of the year, we'll all know their name. I think there's a lot of players who who has uh, who have the potential to do it. Uh, Simon Pudlik had a, actually a good season last season and just developed and developed. And uh, he's a, a coming star, I think. Uh, Emil Lage. Uh, had injury problems problems last season, Achilles tendon uh, ruptured, uh, but uh, he's now back, and he also has the potential on the left back to to be a, an upcoming uh, national team player. So, in my opinion, they, they have and they have more players, but 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 the list go on and on. Uh, so uh, when you see the the youth national teams in Denmark, <laughs> sometimes it's like half of the team uh, plays in in Gilgit. It's pretty amazing. It's an amazing story and it really speaks to the way Denmark kind of approaches handball and as a small country is able to develop such talent by just, you know, literally getting getting these kids and making them play handball all day, every day to turn out as superstars. Really is amazing. And kind of lo- looking around the league, um, are there, uh, let's, let's go into kind of players and the players that will stand out this season because usually there, there are a couple of uh, Danish stars that really 
stand out and then eventually get picked up by the Bundesliga. So who will be the big next Bundesliga signing from Denmark? Who's going to impress this season? Mm, my guess would be Matthias Giesel. <laughs> Wait, he, he already signed for Fix Berlin. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there's a lot of talented players, also uh, non-Danish players from all over Scandinavia. Who, who, of course, has uh, have the the potential to go <laughs> to the to the Bundesliga. Uh, for me, it's difficult to say because there's so many. But uh, looking at the GWG, it, it could be Simon Pütlik, who who uh, yeah has a great role also after Lasse Müller joined the the Bundesliga. So uh, he could be be one of the the guys, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and kind of broader, I know, um, I think Magnus Bramming is making some serious, uh, uh, is, is, has a very good start to the season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he he has been a great part of the Danish uh, league for several years and, and he has a long contract in uh, Holstebor. So I don't think he'll join the Bundesliga, but but he's a, a quality left wing and yeah, I think he, he made... In a week, he made uh, 33 goals or something like that, <laughs> uh, both in the Danish league and in the European uh, league. So, so he he always makes a, a lot of uh, goals for for Holstebro, who also just like uh, Gog, plays a fast uh, uh, pace uh, handball. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the pace of the league in Denmark and the quality of play is. is what really attracts me to the league, uh, and not just because I live in Denmark, but I do, um, I do love the kind of the pure style of handball that's played in the league. But one thing that has kind of happened is that this high quality hasn't fully translated into European. Of course, Alborg has had their success, but I think I would say that the Danish teams disappointed in the European League last year. And there's something about maybe the inexperience of playing against different styles or I know something about the, the Danish teams that doesn't quite translate to European league. Do you see that happening again or do you do, or, you know, why does that happen? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to say. Um, I think that like you saw with, with this round in the European league, it's, it's early in the season, and the fact is that, uh, yeah, of course, the Danish league develops year by year, but it's still a developing league. It's like uh, when the players they have the, uh, uh, have some potential and, and are doing great in the league, they go to France or to to Germany, and uh, like you see with this year uh, in the European league, uh, teams like Holstebro and Bayern uh, Silkeborg they lost some of their best players uh, to the to the Bundesliga and to the to the French league uh, like Mensing and Kai Smits uh, from Holstebro and and Scuba, of course from from Jan Mosilgebo and they they have to to uh, develop a, a new team and it just takes takes time uh, so when they play these uh, first and second rounds in in the qualification uh, tournament they sometimes uh, have some bad experiences uh, so uh, yeah, I think it's difficult to say because I think that we we have a great league, but the top teams in Europe, in some of the other leagues, they just have more money and then they have more experience um, and they can keep their players for a longer period of time, I think. So So that's also a fact when you play in the European League. Of course, physics is very, very important also. And 
and experience is is very very important. So, but I think that's uh, some other uh, Danish clubs, uh, yeah, for the past years have uh, have done some great stuff in in the in the Champions League and in the in the European League, like uh, Georgi, um, like Skern, who who won against Vestbrem uh, for what that three or four years ago, and and so on. So. But uh, we we can do good in in some matches, but throughout a group phase or throughout a, a knockout phase, it's more difficult for the Danish clubs because they lack some experience, they lack some physics against the top top clubs in in Europe. I think. And maybe now um, is a good opportunity to move towards you and how you're preparing for the season, and how this is your second year now with Fredericia. And the first year with fans, which I'm sure you're really looking forward to. For sure, yeah, we we had a pretty uh, challenge, challenging uh, preseason with some injuries and a lot of new players. Uh, but then we began the season against calling our biggest rivals, local rivals, in the cup, and we won a great match. And now we also won against Bianco Silgebo in in the first. Uh, match in the Danish league. So we have had a very, very good uh, beginning of the season, despite the fact that we had some problems in the preseason. So that's, of course, very, very nice and very, very good for a new team uh, to get this, uh, these experiences. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it will be a, a very interesting season. And as I mentioned before, <laughs> there's a lot of good teams and there's a lot of teams who who have the ambitions to, to to go to the playoffs, but that's a that's a very very big goal for us. Uh, we have made, in my opinion, some great signings, and and for for me, uh, the the beginning of the season has also been some been a little challenging because I have also had some some injuries, and ex- at the moment is injured uh, for like a week or so. So hopefully, I can play. <laughs> Very soon, but uh, I think it's very uh, exciting uh, to play on this team, and it's we play maybe a new in a new way in Fredericia. We are known uh, for playing very fast, and last season we we had a lot of counter-attacking uh, handball, and yeah. Uh, but now uh, in the first two matches we we have a new uh, defense, more offensively and. More, uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it has been very good in the beginning of the season. So I just hope hope that we can continue that. Uh, but I think that uh, we we have a great team and we have the potential to to go to the playoffs. But it's a long and very difficult season. But I'm uh, at the moment I'm I'm very happy with the the beginning of the season. Yeah, no, no, it it sounds like a fantastic start so far, and it was it was so close last season. Um, it, it really looked like you're you're gonna do it. So. Yeah, really wishing you all the best and hopefully you do get that first um, playoff spot. So um, before we kind of before I let you go, then let's let, let, let's hear the predictions for uh, for the season as we like to do uh, on the handball hour. Um, and maybe uh, with the Danish kind of playoff system, uh, it is it's, it's hard to give full predictions, but Let's say your semi-finals, league semi-finals, and onwards. Uh, I have to say that it's always, always very, very difficult <laughs> to to predict your own league, uh, and it's also maybe dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but of course, as I mentioned before, I'm I'm pretty sure that the top five league, uh, top five clubs will will proceed to the 
to the to the playoffs and after that uh, they are also the favorites to to go to uh, to a semi-final i'm pretty sure that that both Georgi and, and Olbo will go to the semi-finals and then uh, i maybe have to to mention my my former club uh, scam uh, of course i i think they they have a, a great team and they also have the potential to go to the to the semi-final and then for of course i have to mention <laughs> So uh, if if that will be the the four teams for the semi-finals, I will be happy. But uh, of course, we are the underdogs just to to go to the playoffs. But but for me, it's it's like Olbo and Georgi, they are the favorites. And then there's a lot of team who who have the potential to go the play to the playoffs and have the potential to go to a semi-final. I I just hope that. It will be a, a great uh, Danish uh, season with arenas uh, who are packed and sold out. Uh, that the cor- Corona stay stay away and and that we can just uh, have our old and, and good handball uh, back. So for me, that's also important. Absolutely. So, Geo or Alvar is my final question to you. Which one will win it all? <laughs> Uh, yeah, then I, I'll go with the underdog and say uh, Gyogi. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I think it, it's always funny to have some new uh, champions. Amazing. And then in that case, seeing Gyogi in the Champions League would be something something quite special. <laughs> and um, before we, we, we head off, maybe just want to say that you've been doing some fantastic uh, work with um, Humble World. And uh, the, maybe if you want to talk about how you got involved in that and uh, you know how that has been going for you so far. Yeah, thank you. First of all, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was contact, contacted by the people from uh, Handball World, who is a, which is a, a great and big uh, German handball site who also have made some internationally uh, news uh, throughout the years uh, in English, uh, of course, and uh, they wanted to. Uh, like do that uh, bigger uh, the the English part of the site the international part of the site and they thought that it could be a good idea to to get me on on the on the team and of course I I love handball I love to to write about handball uh, so that was a pretty good match and yeah of course I I like to uh, play handball but uh, also in my spare time I use a lot of uh, time reading about handball, writing about handball, uh, seeing handball. And so it was a good match uh, to, to start to to write for Handball World uh, for the international part. And of course, I still use a lot of time on, on the SOMI, <laughs> both Facebook, uh, Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, yeah, uh, maybe after my career is over, that will will be my my thing. So we'll see. There's a lot of opportunity, but at the moment, moment I just uh, like to to write a lot about about handball, and um, yeah, hopefully I can do that in the future also. Yeah, and it, it definitely brilliant to uh, again get get that English speaking content up uh, across the handball world. So thanks a lot for continually contributing to the world of handballs. Thank you. Alex. Thank you very much to Kevin and Rasmus, as well to Alex and Brian for being part of the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. 
As I promised at the beginning, we're going to be busy over the next couple of weeks. We've got a Champions League podcast coming up very, very soon. We'll also be looking at the Bundesliga and the women's EHF Champions League. We may even have a look at the Super Globe coming up in a few weeks' time as well. But until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>